0: They don't just affirm that there's a problem, and they don't just say like, okay, well, this is how we fix it and provide a temporary bandage. They say that if we don't actually systemically restructure the table of power, this problem is just going to pop back up in six, three months, uh, a year, two years. Uh, We actually, if we want to be serious about actually course correcting, we have to be willing to submit to the fact that we actually need to restructure the table of power and when they do it they so prophetically restructure it that there is literally everybody from the outsider group who is being neglected are the people who now are in power let's begin blank paper and pen stories to tell battles to win
1: deep breath and count to 10 let's begin let's begin let's begin, let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? It is Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast, and uh, this week we have the honor of being at the Christian Community Development Association conference in Kansas City. You know, I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't given uh, our producer any trouble about being in Kansas City. I haven't asked him about his team, but I'm gonna let him, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna let him off the hook for right now. Uh, but y'all know Andrew Morgan is behind the scenes producing. Uh, this show, and uh, we're thankful for him and his work, but just not his football team. I can so, edit that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're in Kansas City. Uh, we are uh, at the CCDA conference, um, and I am uh, with today Dominique Bois Gilliard. Uh, and uh, he is on the board of CCDA. Uh, he is also, y'all check this title out, uh, he is the Director of Righteousness and Reconciliation uh, for the Covenant Denomination. And so, uh, uh, but, like, like, don't let that title fool you. This brother is uh, completely legit in all his work. He is an academic. Uh, he's, he, he, like, I love him to death. But I don't like his sports choices. <laughs> and so, y'all know, y'all know at Sit Up Podcast, we always start with sports uh, because we think there's sports is commentary on a lot of life. So, uh, welcome, Downy. Yeah, yeah. Happy
0: to be on with you, Leroy. You still butchered the title is the director of racial righteousness oh. and reconciliation. <laughs> See? But <laughs> I tried to write it down. Didn't I, I should have yeah, just read it right yeah, out of the book. Yeah, but you know, everybody <laughs> makes mistakes, including your sports teams. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> All right,
1: here we go. So, so y'all know we like to start with this a little bit. So tell us your sports choices and I'll I'll uh, I'll get a chance to hack them out.
0: So, so in basketball, I'm a Lana Hawks fan who went and embarrassed your number one Sixers, uh well number one C Sixers, uh, last year. Um and you you really love the John Collins T shirt that he made about his Dunko M B. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I feel about us in basketball <laughs> uh, okay. right now. You, um, uh, uh-huh. I gotta take the heat more for my, my football choice. Um, Atlanta Falcons, we just uh, obviously, people can probably see I'm from Atlanta. That's right. Um, That's so, right. Y'all hear the theme, <laughs> right? Y'all hear the ATL thing. Yeah. So, you know, the Falcons are what the Falcons are at this point. Um, and- Who they
1: play this week? I
0: don't even- Oh, Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hey. Well, if y'all lay another egg like y'all did next, last week, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll be fine. I, <laughs> I fine. To next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be fine. And um, then, you know, the Braves. Um, I am not a Braves fan. Um, I don't like the Atlanta Braves. I grew up playing baseball my entire life and was a huge Braves fan till I realized that the Braves could never find money to pay their stars of color, Mm, but mm. they always sustained their white stars. And so, for me, even as a young age—I mean, literally—I played baseball since the age of four. I got a baseball scholarship to go Mm -hmm. play in college. Like, I baseball was my life for so much of it. It was just so heartbreaking to see the the Braves make that choice after choice after choice in an explicitly racial way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I feel like people have had to turn a blind eye to to remain a fan, Mm -hmm. in much the way that we've had to turn a blind eye to. The the tomahawk chop yeah, and yeah, all yeah, of these yeah, yeah. Imp- racial implications, and so I think there's a certain blindness uh-huh, that one uh-huh. must have to remain a loyal Braves fan when it comes to race. But I am happy for the city of Atlanta because we have been title deprived, and so <laughs> <Long time. laughs> so excited about you know all of the energy that the title brought to yeah. the city.
1: So so if y'all if y'all don't know you you can hear what is coming uh,
0: <laughs> that
1: uh, th- I don't know if many people knew how that you played that you played baseball and that you were you were headed in in that direction uh, for your professional life.
0: Hey, I threw a no hitter in high school. Like I was like hardcore. Mm-hmm, baseball mm-hmm. is my life, kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: But so but when you were young, you peeped like what was going on with the braves and like it's funny because you were playing baseball you were headed towards this direction in your life but this one thing about the braves you didn't like as a as a young man as as a kid coming growing up yeah and that path is the path that you land on exactly now right guys got a sense of humor yes he's like keep that keep that because that's Y'all know we kind of go through this sit up deal and we kind of hit hit sports, we kind of hit innovation, we hit theology, uh, we hit injustice, the ugly, and then we do some public discourse. But uh, Dom Dom uh, is going to introduce um, his new book, Subversive Witness, which uh, I had a chance to read, and it is it is absolutely a fantastic piece that I think um, is going to to be, I think just as powerful as your first book, Around Mass Incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and Cause that book also kind of updated and brought into like a modern conversation around mass incarceration. And I think this book um, is gonna do the same, man. So uh, in the space of what's new, yeah. like what's going on, tell us about this book and tell us what's going on for you.
0: Yeah, so let me tell folks who don't know a little bit about what I do. Um, in my quote unquote nine to five, which mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. ministry folks, you know, that's an illusion. Right, um, right. But my job is that I am a pastor to pastors. Uh, so I pastor pastors throughout North America in our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. We mm-hmm. have about 880 congregations in North America. And I pastor pastors, helping them make connections between scripture discipleship and our commission to be ambassadors of reconciliation Mm -hmm. and repairs of the breach and co-labors with christ um in very tangible ways so um that means coaching pastors that means coaching leadership teams that means writing curricula for our denomination that means going out on the ground being with congregations Mm -hmm. and and so in that um what i get to do i get to that have a pretty broad perspective Mm -hmm. of the lay of the land of uh, Christianity in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, From rural to suburban to urban, uh, and all of the in between. Mm -hmm. And so, as much like uh, in Rethinking Incarceration, for me, when I write a book, I'm writing a book in response to realities that I see in the world that are hamstringing the church's witness. Mm -hmm. And So in the first one, in rethinking, it was like seeing how eerily silent the church was in the midst of an unprecedented moment in world history, Mm -hmm. Um, having more people incarcerated than any country in the history of the world. And the church had nothing to say by Mm -hmm. and large. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this reality, I have noticed that there is this tendency within so many of our congregations inside my denomination and beyond for there to be this kind of intellectual agreement with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a disconnect between head, heart, and hands and living out what we say that we believe. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to get down to the crux of where this disconnect was happening. And in a lot of respects, I mean, there's a number of different reasons, Mm -hmm. um, but one of the ones that we oftentimes just don't want to name and press into um, is the the reality of privilege and mm-hmm. the way in which privilege seduces us into abiding by the patterns and the logics of this world. is privilege, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. unbridled privilege, I believe is really one of the vehicles that Satan uses to drive his missional purpose, which is to kill, steal, and destroy oh, uh, our witness. Uh, uh, um, and, and so I wanted to, the conversation about privilege is not a new one. Just like the conversation about mass incarceration wasn't a new one, Mm -hmm. but it it's never been framed for the people of God through the word of God in an explicable, accessible way. And so I wanted to do the work of helping people to understand that the conversation about privilege is really a conversation about discipleship. Mm -hmm. And it's really a conversation about understanding what our missional purpose is as the people of God. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. believe it's simply to make God's name known and love shown throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And privilege is something that hinders our ability to embody that and Mm. even to see the ways in which we there is this glaring disconnect that the rest of the world sees between what we say we believe and how we live out what we believe and so i wanted to equip the church to actually do the work of allowing scripture to actually be a light for our path and a lamp to our feet and to actually help us to see that scripture is just not some collection of archaic stories mm-hmm. that have no relevance mm-hmm. for our mm-hmm. day and time but they're actually a living breathing word mm-hmm. that actually continue to give us fresh inspiration and direction in the midst of the complexities of the things uh, we we're trying God. to navigate today and uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: hey, you know that's like the way you you invite people into the scripture is uh one right like in a day and time where people don't want to hear
0: it, yeah. yeah right like
1: yeah. i don't like this dude's always talking about scripture, right? And you, you did that in your first book, Rethinking My man- yeah. Incarceration, right? And now you're doing this again with privilege. Um, how what? How do people respond to that? They don't, I don't, Yeah. like, we don't wanna hear the Bible, man, come on. <laughs> give us something
0: else. So yeah, so let me first say there, you know, what I found is that when the conversation of privilege comes up, congregationally, there's generally one of three responses. The first response is uh, denial that privilege is real. Mm-hmm and a rejection of the conversation because it's not biblical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The second response is where you see leaders kind of give a wink and a nod, acknowledging that they realize that privilege is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But they also acknowledge that it's very tricky terrain to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so instead of pressing in and potentially losing people and funding, uh, they ultimately will just sidestep the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third response, you see congregants and pastors who both affirm that privilege is real, And they do the hard work of pressing in and trying to reckon with the realities of privilege and its implications. But the revelations that come out through that reckoning are so stark for Mm -hmm. so many people Mm -hmm. that there usually ends up being a kind of missional paralysis where people feel so burdened by everything Mm -hmm. that they've found from this reckoning that that it didn't really liberate them to Mm -hmm. participate and demonstrate their faith in, in a way that... Allows them again to bear witness to who and whose they are, mm-hmm. and and the missional purpose of the people of God. And so I said, you know, I'm seeing this trend everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's one of these three responses, mm-hmm. and I said, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a more faithful way to uh-huh. engage this conversation. And so. But much like in rethinking, that drove me back to scripture, that drove me back to prayer, that drove me back to discerning community. And what I realized is that scripture does offer us another way, a fourth Mm -hmm. way, a more faithful way. And that says, scripture says that privilege is real. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to be tempted to exploit privilege Mm -hmm. for our our selfish gain. Right, Right, right. But if we are truly people trying to model our lives after Jesus, if we're truly people trying to live into Philippians 2 and take on the mindset of Christ, Mm -hmm. we actually see that Christ actually gives us an example of what we are supposed to do with privilege. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is to strategically leverage it to further the kingdom and to sacrificially love our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but we'll never get to that point if we keep dancing around the elephant in the room. Right, right we got right. to reckon with privilege, and we got to do it through biblically-based discipleship. Mm, mm, and we have mm, to do it through the scriptures. Mm, and so mm, for me, I am always going to lead out with the scriptures, because I believe the scriptures actually are the playbook for, mm, for uh-huh, the people of uh-huh, God. Uh-huh. And when we try to drive solutions outside of that, um, you know, we're doing it in our own strength and in our own limited right, power, right, and right. we're not uh, tapping into the power that's at work within us mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Ac- accessible to us mm-hmm. as the people of God, you know, submitted to the power and directed by the power of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I read your book. you you got some examples in there. Yeah. So um, give us one that you want to share, you know, you know, not too much so people yeah. can yeah, still yeah. buy the book, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think one of That's the weird. most tangible uh, examples of privilege that I'm just like, I'm shocked that like these things aren't really preached and taught right? and yeah. because it's pretty clear um, would be a passage like Acts 6, 1 through 7. Mm-hmm. So Acts 6, 1 through 7 is this passage where you have church leaders who are trying to carry on the the mission of the church to see the vulnerable, to care for the vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to provide for them. Um, And you have these two groups of widows who are ultimately uh, marginalized in society, Mm -hmm. and they're actually being cared for and provided for by a church leadership team. but the challenge becomes that there the two different groups of widows represent two very different realities. So you have uh, one group of widows who are cultural insiders, mm-hmm. who are uh, longstanding residents mm-hmm. within the community, who speak the, the language, the predominant mm-hmm. language, right. who understand the culture. Um, and then you have another group of widows who are essentially immigrants, who speak a different language, mm-hmm. who don't have social capital, mm-hmm. who don't have... Um, people at the seats of power who know their marginal experience and then can identify with their lived Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. and so what ultimately happens is why the church believes that it's being you know faithful and Mm -hmm. prophetic and the church is growing in numbers Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's it's blinded to the injustice that's happening right in their midst and so um, ultimately the, the, the outsiders have to come and bring their complaint to right. uh, the leadership team. And this is where we get a chance to see uh, the maturity of the these these men um, because they ultimately don't respond. To the discrimination complaint that's waged by saying you're actually the ones who are causing the problem by uh, bringing right. raising this no. issue, right. Um, right. that that they don't try to explain away the problem, mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. try to say, but look at all the good stuff we're doing for you. Mm-hmm. Like it might mm-hmm. not be equitable, but we're we don't even have to do what we're doing. Right. Right. They don't right. do any of that kind right. of stuff. They actually hear the complaint go back, discern amongst themselves, look at the structure of the the food distribution program, and then they come back and they validate that in fact, there has been a discrepancy and discrimination going on. Mm-hmm. And in addition to this, and this is really the word for the church in that, they don't just affirm that there's a problem and they don't just say like, okay, well, this is how we fix it and Mm -hmm. provide a temporary bandage. They say that if we don't actually systemically restructure the table of power, this problem is just gonna pop back up in six, three months, uh, a year, two years. Uh, We actually, if we wanna be serious about actually course correcting, we have to be willing to submit to the fact that we actually need to restructure the table table of power. And when they do it, they so prophetically restructure it that there is literally everybody from the outsider group who is being neglected are the people who now are in power. Mm -hmm. And it's this this prophetic passage in the fact that I think one of the reasons why we don't deal with injustice today and oppression today Mm -hmm. and call out systemic sin is because We think it's a a distraction from the gospel.
1: Right, right, yes. But
0: this passage makes it explicitly clear that because of the maturity of these men and their faithfulness and their willingness to submit their agenda to the, 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 the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit, that the gospel exploded Mm -hmm. in their local context. Mm -hmm. And it said people started coming to faith left and right Right. because these people were mature enough in their faith to actually have the difficult conversation Mm -hmm. about how do we truly deal with discrimination in our midst and not just provide a temporary bandage. Mm -hmm. And not Mm -hmm. only that, but the men who come onto the council, the new leaders Mm -hmm. from the outside, Mm -hmm. ultimately become the first people to proclaim the gospel to non-Jewish communities down the line. And so it's this beautiful illustration that uh, evangelism and justice always go together. They are hand in hand. They are not something that we can prioritize one or the other. They're intertwined. Mm -hmm. And I think we have profoundly missed that as the people of God in the Western church today. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's an example where like, if they didn't actually, if they weren't sober enough to acknowledge the discrimination within their midst and Mm -hmm. to to humbly hear the complaint that was waged and to not try to weaponize the complaint and actually blame the victim, Mm -hmm. then and the gospel explosion wouldn't have happened because the world was aware of the discrimination that was going on and they wanted to see how the church was going to respond. Like, were they going to be accountable, were they going to be confessional, were they going to be repentant, or were they going to do the apology, no apology, or are they going to try to explain it away and cast blame on, you know, the marginal
1: community. So. So, so, so the uh, in what you just explained, there's one piece that's sticking out to me. And uh, when you're talking about when you said uh, mature, uh, these mature believers, yeah. right, who yeah. who w- didn't have the markers of privilege, right? In our settings, the markers of privilege, whatever they might be, means you know better than these folks who are not privileged. Yeah, right yeah. speak to that a little bit yeah. like because that that that's significant that's yeah. a significant difference
0: yeah 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 that's the humility piece like these men had the humility because everything around them told them that they were superior that they were that they didn't need to listen to these immigrant outsiders mm-hmm. who were vulnerable mm-hmm. in society why would they actually have to reposture themselves based mm-hmm. off the feedback of the other right. um but i think that's why I talk about the maturity in Christ because Mm -hmm. it's only when you actually have moved from milk to solid food Mm -hmm. that you actually realize that the categories of this world are deceptions that Mm -hmm. arise from the powers and the principalities and these categories are so ingrained in society because it's a way of keeping us from understanding the biblical truth that our our flourishing is inherently interconnected Mm -hmm. and that when we continue to live as if we are people of privilege people of knowledge people of wisdom people of status and they are not so therefore they never have anything to offer us or any ways in which they can prophetically speak into our life it's only this uh unilateral interaction where we are the ones Mm -hmm. coming giving uh you know kind of instilling wisdom and resources Mm -hmm. then we're not we're not living as new creations. Uh, We are people who are abiding by the pattern of this world. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is very explicit Mm -hmm. that we have to have our minds renewed. But when we continue to think in these categories Mm -hmm. and abide Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. these categories Mm -hmm. and allow them to dictate what communion looks like for us as the people of God, we really are bearing witness to the fact that we actually have not died um, and it's yeah, Christ yeah. who now lives in and mm-hmm. through us. But we're actually maybe just modified behavior, uh, modified versions of our mm-hmm. old selves, mm-hmm. but not not new creations. Mm-hmm. And so.
1: So, man, that's good. Thank you, man. And I, I can hear the voices ringing, though, right? And, you know, I'm old. like, I can hear the voices. Well, you need this money and you need this resource and you need this and you need that. Um, you know, Dom, like, I, that sounds all great, but, you know. Uh,
0: we do need the resources and we do need the money, but we need it in a way that That bears witness to the fact that our flourishing is inherently interconnected and mm-hmm. my flourishing can't be dependent upon your generosity to me. Mm-hmm. But it's dependent on the fact that you've been discipled well enough to know that what we have have is not just for us, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we're blessed to be a blessing and the blessings that have come to us are supposed to flow through us Mm -hmm. and not just be contained within us in our biological family structures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, that's that's an anti-gospel understanding of flourishing, yeah. of shalom, mm-hmm, and but it's one that all too often we, we not only hold within our congregations, but we disciple people into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this book really tries to get after what does it mean for us to understand that there's a missional purpose to the privileges that we have. Um, and missionally privilege invites us to become uh, a moral and ethical voice of clarity in places of Mm -hmm. distinction Mm -hmm. where other people around us have other interests and priorities. Mm -hmm. Um, Missionally privilege invites us to see how we can take Sinful realities uh, that have created divisions amongst mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. and to subversively use them to bear witness to who and whose we are, yeah, in right. ways that allows us to actually create what I like to call kingdom pressure points within unjust systems and structures, so that we can actually top th- topple them and then prophetically reconstruct them uh, in a way that faithfully honors oh, Jesus right. and again moves towards the realities of the inbreaking kingdom. Nice.
1: So, so, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, and if folks want to get in touch with you, how, how can you do that? You
0: know, I hate these questions on the spot. Um, but, (laughs) um, so on, um, I am on Instagram. I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook, on IG I am, uh, Dominique D Gilliard Uh and, uh, Facebook, you can just uh, Dominique Du Bois Gilliard, uh, my author page. You can find me there. And then on Twitter, I am DD D. Gilliard. So Dominique Du Bois Gilliard, DD Gilliard on Twitter.
1: All right. Well, thank you, man. And uh, Dominique Giller- Gilliard, uh, the Director of Racial Righteousness <laughs> and, uh, and Reconciliation for the Evangelical Covenant Church. Thanks for being with us, man. Yeah. Uh, this is Leroy Barber. Uh, this is the Sit-Up Podcast. Let's begin. Live life like you know the clock's ticking. On your mark set, ready. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.